Hello team and welcome to episode 364 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lori Lee. Lori is a certified personal trainer, yoga teacher, the author of the Goal Getting Journal and an e-commerce startup leader. Lori's extensive experience in both fitness and corporate environments led her to noticing a common theme, burnout culture. Lori now helps high functioners get their goals without burning out with holistic fitness. Holistic fitness balances pushing your boundaries whilst managing your stress. In this episode, you can expect to learn what are some of the key traits in the high performance that she works with, how you can set yourself up for short-term and long-term success, along with whether being a results or an experience-driven individual is more beneficial when it comes to achieving your goals. So without further ado, Lori Lee. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm awesome, Elliot. It is. I'm so happy to be here. I am super happy to have you here. For anyone who is listening today, just a heads up that I was recently on Laurie's podcast. I think that by the time this one goes live, yours should be live as well. So you get a two-in-one. So if you can't get enough of us from today, head over to Laurie's podcast. You can listen to that one as well. But for those who have may have not come across yourself before, Laurie, who are you and what is it that you do? Yes. So I'm psyched to see everybody. Um, if this is released past May, then you will definitely be able to check out the one with Elliot as well. We had such an awesome conversation. So my name's Laurie. I'm a holistic fitness trainer. So essentially, I come from two different worlds. I come from corporate America and I also am an experienced fitness trainer. My first job was a gymnast coach. So I've been in the fitness world for like one and a half decades now. And the parallel that I saw between corporate America and also the fitness world is when people aren't getting their goals, it's usually because something underlying is happening that's causing them some sort of stress. Um, and I also noticed that for me, I put on the, quite a bit of weight and the way that I lost it was actually by breaking up an unaligned relationship. So by my observances in the fitness world and in the corporate world, I coined the term with, with others, holistic fitness, and it's helping people with their stress, their inner work, their, um, their relationships, their, their jobs, their value, their purpose, all of that kind of fluffy stuff that isn't as quantifiable to help them do the habits that they already know that they should already be doing. We all know we should be sleeping seven to nine hours a night, eating well most of the time and moving often. So what my work centers around is like, why aren't we doing it and helping people find balance in something they enjoy? I love that story. And essentially what we find is that all of that type of stuff seems too simple to be the solution to our problems. But when we actually go and start doing those things, they actually really much harder than the training, the nutrition, and all the things that we think we need to do to get in shape. And what I wanted to do is travel back a little bit and look at you when you were in that situation and talk about some of the kind of deep moments that you had in that situation and how you kind of climbed your way back out of that. Absolutely. I love this question, Elliot, because I love getting into the deep work. And I think like personal stories, especially from fitness trainers who are doing it now are so important. So for me Mm -hmm. specifically, I was doing a corporate job working 60 hours a week and I love being a corporate girly. Don't get me wrong. I find a lot of enjoyment in, in leading people and leading large teams. However, I kind of the pendulum swung too much in that direction to the 
point where I was putting everyone else first and then putting my self-care on the back burner. And what I mean by self-care is caring for myself. I'm not talking about wine Wednesdays or pizza Fridays. I'm talking about moving often, taking long baths and putting myself first, like asking myself, hey, what did you do for you today? So I was doing this um, corporate job from a sense of actually just not dealing with my own stuff and instead putting other people first. And it was the same in my relationship. It was what can I do to make him happy? How can I make his day better? And I was almost like putting other people first so I wasn't dealing with my own stuff. And I actually... My wake-up call was in 2015 when I was actually hospitalized from a panic attack. I'd had panic attacks before, and it was really frustrating because mentally I knew that I was experiencing a panic attack. For those of you who don't know, a panic attack feels like you're having a heart attack. It feels like you're going to die. But I intellectually knew, hey, I've had one of these before. I'm experiencing a panic attack right now. But the physiological symptoms were there. It was like I had tachycardia or something. My um, heart was beating so fast. I was sweating and I just couldn't calm down. And I actually ended up being hospitalized from it. So in the hospital, they did the chest x-rays. They did, you know, everything that they needed to do. um, And they gave me diazepam. So I went on my merry way with my diazepam and it was awesome. Love the diazepam. But obviously this isn't like a long-term solution at all. And I had put on weight. I was always a skinny kid. Um, yeah, quote unquote skinny kid, but I drank Coca-Cola every single day and I was addicted to Coca-Cola. I loved it. And also I ate so much Mag- McDonald's as well. So I had a processed food and sugar addiction and I was suffering from daily panic attacks to the point that I was hospitalized at one point. So it wasn't good. I was 23 at this stage as well. And I was overworking and I was in this relationship. But long story short, I googled Fat Camp New Zealand. I know that sounds horrible. I shouldn't call myself fat. I was still within like a quote unquote healthy weight range, but I felt large because I was always, you know, smaller. So I went to this place and this was the first time that I learned that your thoughts have its own frequency and there's actually different frequency for brainwaves as well and getting yourself into that alpha state. And I was just on overdrive all the time. I was always, and that's why I tried so many different ways to exercise, even though I was like good at gymnastics and I I was in the fitness industry and I did study exercise and biomedical science. I was cognitively aware of these things, but I just couldn't implement. I just kept on doing doing the diets, doing all the things to get, get it under wraps. Once I learned how to manage my thoughts, how to give myself more love through thought work, and how to get rid of the stuff in my life that was adding extra stress to me, the weight just shed off. And a pivotal moment, this boyfriend actually told me something that he was lying to me about for the last two years. And then a month after that, I broke up with him. So as I started to do this work, started to do this meditation, I don't know if it was like spiritual or weird or whatever, he divulged information that was relationship breaking. I broke off this unaligned relationship and I lost 30 pounds within three months. So it was a long-winded story, but there's lots of different elements there that helped me realize where I was and that my weight loss journey was actually 
shedding the mental weight first. So I had space for those habits. Yeah, it's an insane story because it's not like you had any inexperience when it comes to health and fitness world. So it wasn't as if, you know, you weren't being a DRM because of X, Y, or Z reason. And I say all the time, and I might have even said it when we spoke the first time, quite often the things that impacts our ability to drop body weight and nothing to do with our bodies, but everything to do with our minds. And mm. a lot of us are resistant to believe that. And a lot of us are resistant to and think, ah, no, you know, I live a happy life. I'm all good. I don't have any childhood trauma. And then you peel back the layers and you're like, well, where did this all begin? And then you start to find things and you start to tap into that. So with you, you obviously searched Fat Camp New Zealand and then started traveling down that route. How were you able to then follow through on that? How did you know that that was the thing that you needed in that moment to start like you said, shedding the mental weight. Yeah. So I think that was the start of my journey of finding enjoyment in everything I did. So for me, it was a mindset switch of doing exercise and eating whole foods from a place of insecurity and literally googling fat camp to doing it from a place of enjoyment. So all of my girlfriends are rugby players. So they're, you know, fit, healthy people. So I would go to the park with them. I would hang out with them. We would do hikes together. And it just very organically movement became more of a part of my life. And then things kind of compounded from there, you know, whether you start with the inner work or exercise or nutrition, there's one habit that's kind of like the gateway drug to everything else. So it really started with more movement. And then, you know, when we went to cafes and stuff like that, we generally went to healthy cafes and got smoothies together. And, you know, we cooked together. We had charcuterie nights, which obviously isn't, isn't like super healthy, but then we also had like brunches together. So for me as an extrovert, you know, what I really enjoy is spending time with people. So I utilized my personality type to spend time with people and to really uh, leverage that. And I think a lot of it is that it also got me into the inner work. So something else that I observed, the reason why I was addicted to Coca-Cola and processed foods in the first place is I've been working since I was 13 years old. And a lot of that comes from, that excess came from growing up in quote unquote under the poverty line in Australia, it didn't feel like we were under the poverty line. But when you look at the definition, I grew up in poverty, apparently. So definitely how that manifested was the excess. So even the awareness of that helped implement, Um, you know, I wasn't aware that the reason I wanted Coke every single day was because I was wanting to live in excess. But once I realized that and found enjoyment, that was how I was able to integrate those habits. Yeah. And that's the amazing part of it is that you were able to reveal that insight to yourself. And there is nothing better than that. I was speaking to someone on a recent podcast as well. And it's literally like your eyes are pulled open. Everything begins to make sense. And then once you have that awareness, then you can obviously go down the route of doing that. But when you're in that place of not knowing why you're doing what you're doing, that's when you're stuck. That's when you're not going to see the progress that you're after. So I think that that first layer of just that awareness, like, I think first step is realizing there's something there like, okay, well, maybe this isn't too great for me, you know, whether it be an unhealthy relationship, an addiction to Coca-Cola or anything along those lines, just holding an extra 20 kilos of body weight and not knowing why. And then once you start to think, okay, well, maybe this is a challenge and you don't kind of be super brutal and, you know, give yourself a super tough time about it, but you're like, okay, well, why? And you start taking down that route. Like that can be one of the most insightful things that you can do. So I'm keen to hear how you get your clients to that place as well. Well, obviously, a big part of this is getting them to work out 
why they are the way they are, not how they got there, but why they are the way they are, because then we can handle the how and the what and the if and all that type of stuff. What is your approach in terms of taking first steps with a client who comes to you and says, you know, I'm 20 kilos, 25 kilos, five kilos overweight. I have a food addiction. I have an alcohol addiction, whatever it might be, where do you go in terms of first steps with them? Absolutely. That's a great question. And I'm going to answer it in two ways because I worked with one-on-one clients for a very long time. However, now I don't. It's all group training online. So with a one-on-one client, I get to know them as a human. So as a personal trainer, and if you are like, if anyone listening is working with a personal trainer, what's important to me is to develop trust because that's when you'll get the nuggets and people will divulge information that maybe provide you. And that can be in the first like initial consult, the first time that you, you sit down with someone. And a big one is like diving into childhood. So if you're listening to this and you're not really sure about your awareness, Think about the time where you were most happy with your body and use three words to describe why you were so happy with your body and then take it a level deeper and then ask yourself, what does this feeling remind me of? Because it'll likely remind you of a time in your life when you were really happy when you were either a child or in your early 20s or what have you. And then do the same for why am I unhappy with my body? And it doesn't just have to be aesthetics. It can be, you know, happy with how fast I can run, happy with, you know, how much I can lift. It can be functional or aesthetic. And then use three words to describe it. So you've got your three words and then ask yourself, what does this remind me of? Like, when have I felt like this? Because then you're getting into your inner beliefs about yourself. And let me tell you from leading hundreds of people in corporate America, but then also helping guide a lot of people in the fitness industry, the root cause of most people is I am not good enough. Most people feel not good enough in some way. For some of my fitness clients, it has been bullying and they don't like going to the gym because it reminds them of where all the cool kids are and that's their block. And then for some others, it's, you know, their mother. Um, a lot of, a lot of women especially have mother wounds where their mother was always exercising and dieting and therefore like they have either felt the excess like I have or they minimize and they go on these yo-yo streaks. So I think tapping into your feelings and then asking yourself what those feelings remind you of um, organically happens in the consult or you can do this as a workbook. So in my own courses, I have worksheets and ask you these questions so you can do a little bit of self-reflection as well. Yeah, I think that's super powerful. And the first step is literally just asking yourself those questions that you've never asked before before and they will reveal so much as you mentioned and what i want to know now is how you get that balance between having physical goals and working on your relationship with yourself because of i find that so many people in the industry are one or the other they're either let's work on your challenges and maybe if you lose one pound in the course of six months fantastic and then there's the other people who are like let's disregard all of these let's block them out and let's get you 10 kilos off in six weeks so where do you go about in terms of finding the middle ground which is where i think the majority of us all should really be yes i have a really big gripe with either side of the spectrum and ellie it knows this. Um, yeah, exactly. I like I can't stand when two people when people are like way too much on the like body positivity at risk of your health or grind culture at risk of your like life and burning out. It's we really should be meeting in the middle. And I think the best way that I approach this is approach your health and sense fitness journey with two things. One, a sense of curiosity. 
two, a sense of accountability. So there does need some accountability there. So um, you need to get really honest with yourself and review your weeks like, okay, so I set out to do four workouts. Why did I only do two? And get really accountable with yourself. Is it because four workouts I'm not capable of achieving or is it because I scrolled on social media instead? So having like after action reports or like some sort of review, I think, or reflection is really, really important in terms of the accountability. And of course, you can work with a coach for accountability as well. When it comes to curiosity, it's it's exactly the same as what I was saying before, where if a belief pops up into your head that isn't positive, you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, oh my goodness, look at those rolls on my stomach. I look terrible. Ask yourself, why do I believe that I look terrible because of those rolls on my stomach? Because you, if you approach your fitness journey from a, self, a place of self-hatred and loathing, it is going to be that much harder to achieve your goals. If you don't believe me, review, review the story I just told you about my own weight loss journey. So it's, it's really a mix of that curiosity and accountability that I believe helps you have that perfect balance between being positive about and loving yourself as you are now, while also holding yourself to the highest standard possible. And also, if you are morbidly obese, um, if you're, you know, or if your BMI is over 30, it's understanding and getting real with the fact that there is research out there that says that lifestyle can be a significant risk factor to cardiovascular disease and other d diseases. So if you need a little bit more awareness to help you with the accountability, you know, maybe I shouldn't have used the example of BMI because it's not always accurate. I will say that, but you know, maybe you look at your body fat percentage and, and get, get to know the realities of that as well, because it shouldn't all be aesthetic based, but sometimes having additional fat on your body does open you up to some risk factors and, and there is preventative health like fitness and nutrition for a reason. Absolutely. And I think that maybe it should be happier every size instead of health every size. It's like no one's telling you you can't be happy with the way that you are, but you can't go into denying the reality that holding a certain amount of body fat comes with its risks. It comes with its consequences, especially over time as you get older as well. So I think if someone can adjust that H, I think we can all live in a easier world. But the opposite side of that is, you know, not necessarily the best approach either. However, I do want to challenge you on that because of what I do find is that so many people are super motivated by hating themselves. And that might sound really blunt out mm. loud and it might be of, you know, different intensities, but it is that moment where you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm really dreading what I see every time I undress. Or it's that moment where I'm feeling insecure about myself because I'm on the beach or whatever. And that's what drives a lot of people. And sometimes I think that when I say this out loud, the kind of self-hatred seems a little bit more motivating than curiosity and accountability to my goals, you know, from coming from a place of self-love. So where do you stand on that front? Because of it's powerful. There's no denying that that can really push someone, you know, that someone who's really struggling to make money and pay their bills at the end of the month tends to be more motivated than the person who can just cover their bills, if you see what I mean. 80% are driven by pain, 20% are driven by pleasure. So that's why most people don't cheat because the pain of, of cheating on someone and the pain of going through that isn't worth the 20% of the pleasure. So I will agree with you in that it can be a motivating factor, but where I would challenge that is, yes, use it as a spark, but how can we utilize other pain 
more holistic pain to help people moving forward. Because the thing is, is that I've worked in bodybuilding gyms and I've seen time and time again that once people get their goal, they still hate themselves. They're going for the lip filler. They're going for the lashes. They end up with body dysmorphia. Not saying that this will happen for everyone, but at some point you're going to have to do the inner work to like yourself. For some, yes, they'll like themselves at their smaller thing and that's a really great tool. But how are some other ways we can like ourselves or some other pain that we can use? Like maybe the pain for somebody is not getting osteoporosis. Maybe the pain is not having to miss out on a hike because you feel like you're the linkest weak. I believe that pain can be more than just aesthetic. We can use other pain as fuel. But I do like, I do agree with you. Most people that come to, you know, the Holistic Fitness Podcast or come to me are using the pain from an aesthetic standpoint. And that is really good fuel to get started. But I just don't think it's the best fuel long term. That's my opinion. I think that's fair. I think it's very powerful to get started. So I wouldn't deny anyone of that whatsoever. But as you mentioned, once you get to a place where you're actually in a much, much better position than you are, then if you don't start to acknowledge yourself and love yourself from that perspective, then it's never really going to get better. And like I said, then you'll need to tap into it. And I always say like, you want a healthy sense of something pushing you along the kind of fear of never going back to where you were and kind of not liking where you are, but you also want the optimism of what you can be. And if you've got kind of a gentle push and pull dynamic going on and your push isn't the most predominant thing at all times during your journey, then I think a healthy balance can be created there as well. And speaking of healthy balance something that we don't have a lot of healthy balances is when we set big goals for ourselves whether they be within our work whether they be within our health and fitness or our relationships and i know that you're very very determined to make sure that people can achieve their goals without burning out in the process how do we manage to dissect this very complicated modern problem yeah that's a really good question and and we could go in a few directions here but one tangible thing that everyone can do and this is actually a tool that i hear from many people said in so many different ways on my own podcast and it's setting yourself minimums and maximums and a previous guest um kevin palmieri actually put this in a way that was mind-blowing it's think about your weeks like if you were 20 percent of the version your best version of yourself 50 percent of the best version of yourself and then 100 percent of the best version of yourself the problem is most of us are setting goals imagining ourselves as 100 percent and there's this thing called tomorrow thinking where you actually view yourself tomorrow as a different person. So that's why it's so easy to sit down and like write out all of the things on Sunday that you're going to do in the upcoming week and maybe achieve it on Monday than fall off the bandwagon. It's so common. So it's actually just breaking down what does 100% look like? What does 60% look like? What does 20% look like? 100% might be a six-day split this week. 60% might be a four-day split. And 20% might be two at home, you know, Elliot has a whole bunch of great workouts on his YouTube channels, you know, a couple of Elliot's workout on the YouTube channel and then two full body gym days. It's really mapping out your worst case scenario and your best case scenario because a lot of people like just chuck everything in the trash or the bin once they kind of fail once and then it's like all right I'll start again on Sunday rather than actually considering what we are like a holistic full human being that's gonna have a crappy day at work that's gonna have a fight with their partner and how are we actually going to deal with that when we have a little bit more added stress so that's what I think would be the most tangible way of helping you get your goals without burning out yeah and I think that an honest sense of of who you are as well could be helpful and i think that maybe some of the high achievers are not 
not necessarily the ones that are 100% all the time, is that maybe their threshold at 60 is a little higher than yours is. And I think that that might be something to determine as well. It's like, well, realistically, like you said, what is your 60% and how often are you actually 60%? And usually, you know, I have this, as you gave a perfect example of workouts, you know, it's much better to set someone a goal of two and a bonus third session of a workout per week then set them with the goals of getting four times a week and that's why you have to be very very aware of someone's commitment when you first start with them on a health and fitness journey because people go in think of their 100 percent version of themselves and they think they're going to be that for the next three to six months and then you know two three weeks later down the line they're like well okay maybe five times a week wasn't as sustainable as i thought because of, as you mentioned they thought about that 100 percent version of themselves so how can we be realistic how can we find that middle ground because if you say that's someone like me i'm like well i'm not gonna be 100 percent all the time and i think most people will say that as well so how do we find our kind of dynamic balance between the two of those. Yeah, I love the additional layer that you put on that as well of like getting honest with yourself and how often you're 60%, how often you're um, 100%. I, I think there's a few facets to this. Um, but one, I want to introduce you to three questions that, you know, I ask, well, that are in the goal getting journal that I sell. One is what energizes you? Um, what energized you today? Two, what drained you today? And then three, what did you learn today? So again, like we've spoken about awareness a lot. I feel like it comes with awareness, understanding what energizes you and what drains you. And then you can choose to do less of those things, especially if you see common themes like, hey, Every time I scroll on Instagram for 30 minutes, I feel drained. I feel exhausted. And understanding that that feeling of being drained and that feeling of exhaustion is actually taking you away from your goals. So this awareness exercise will help you with being able to move closer. And then again, maybe you use that curiosity of, okay, so why does scrolling on Instagram make me feel drained? Oh, it's because I'm looking at all of this person's content that's 10 years ahead of me on their fitness journey and I'm comparing myself to them and that's further draining me. So again, it comes down to awareness and figuring out why your energy levels are the way they are and then choosing to add or remove things from your life to help you find that balance. Um, I also love what you just said, Elliot, like it's reframing goals as well. So maybe it's actually saying, okay, my goal is to go to the gym two times a week and then anything else is a bonus. Once you find that you're going to three, the gym three weeks consistently for eight weeks, it's like, okay, I go to the gym three times a week and anything more is a bonus and just allowing yourself to move through that. Yeah, I completely agree. And that was something I heard some time ago. I want to attribute it to Tony Robbins, but I don't know actually know if it was him or not. But he said, we underestimate what we can do in a year, but we overestimate what we can do in a week or a day. And I think that that's sometimes the challenge, you know? I think that we get so caught up in thinking, okay, the 100% version of myself is going to smash this. And then there's these highs and lows. We get disheartened when we don't quite achieve the day that we want to. But if we can actually put together a year where we're 80% on point, and that's going to roughly work out about 46, 44 weeks, you know, versus just overestimating how that one week went and then, you know, falling off the bandwagon because of it went terribly. I think that we could have a lot more success, especially when it comes to the long-term pursuits as well. And that's the thing with health and fitness. Most people start with a goal, but then they realize that if they want to maintain these things, it needs to be a lifestyle. So I think if we start to think in terms of months and years versus days and weeks, I think that that mm, might be a key yeah. to success on that front as well. And I want to talk to you about like the higher, higher achievers now as well. Those with kind of some ridiculous goals goals, maybe they're, you know, the million billionaires in the world, those people who are competitive athletes and everything along those lines. 
Where is the balance there? Is that possible? Is it possible to have super high functioning goals and pursuits on a day-to-day basis and also find the balance where you're not burning yourself out and you have hobbies and you have all these types of things as well? Absolutely, it's possible. I work with them. They have learned the skill of focus. What those folks have that I feel like we are challenged with in everyday society now is the ability to focus. We have always got those notifications going off. Like one notification distracts us for 60 seconds. Like if we get a notification and we're doing deep work, it takes us at least 60 seconds to get back into the flow of things. And if you're getting notifications like once every 10 minutes, that is, you know, 10% of your time. And I bet most of us are getting notifications uh, a lot more often than once every 10 minutes. So it's really the high performers. It's I don't want anyone to think about like getting your goals without burning out as being less ambitious. It's learning the skill to be able to get after your goals where it's not at the expense of other things. And focus training is really important. So that's meditation in some sort of way and breath work in some sort of way. And even focus training can be running or some sort of fitness activity, but you can have a rich full life with friends and a social life. You can be an executive at work. You can have a side business. You can exercise six times a week. You just need to decide who you want to be, have that as a part of your identity, continuously reflect to build awareness and learn how to focus. Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge takeaway. And what do you find are some of the other key attributes of those high achievers as well? I think focus is an enormous one. Identity you mentioned as well. What are some of the key attributes that you see within those type of people versus those who maybe don't achieve as much as they like to? Intention. So that comes into focus as well. They're highly intentional about how they're going to start their days. So at the beginning of the day, they don't allow things to distract them. So for example, like a high performance habit is simply just not having your phone in the bedroom. So your first thing, as I was mentioning before in my journey, I used to be so focused on how I could serve others at the detriment of myself. High performing people, they don't jump to see what everyone else needs from them in their emails. What they do is they set up their day for success with a meditation, whole foods, getting outside, and then setting their three intentions for the day and the three things that are actually going to move the needle in their day rather than responding to distractions and responding to what other people want from them. They start with themselves. And it's not a selfish thing because their intention, you know, as you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Elliot, but certain my, certainly my intention as a fitness trainer is to make other people happy. But that still means I need to be quote unquote selfish and set my three intentions for today of how I'm going to make that change. So another big thing that I see is intention. And a lot of that is how people structure their days. Yeah, I think that's key. And I think that that's the perspective that we have to have is that if you don't serve yourself first, you're going to have a pretty damn hard time serving others. And you might get away with it for some time, but cracks will begin to show either within the work that you do to serve others or yourself. You know, ultimately, it kind mm. of ends up that way down the line. And there's going to be a certain moment of reflection for you. And you're either going to push through that and sacrifice yourself or you're going to sacrifice your service to others. And I think that that's the route that most of us find ourselves coming down. And then on that note as well, what is your perspective on social media in the modern world? You mentioned it a little 
little bit earlier in terms of the person who feels drained after 30 minutes of scrolling and sees someone 10 years ahead of them on their fitness journey. You've also spoke about notifications that are on the phone in the room as well, which I know that you're not anti-social media because you're very present on social media. So where is your take on social media? How can we leverage it to our advantage and how can we essentially keep ourselves protected from it as well? Absolutely. I love this question. So fun fact about me, I'm an executive at a, a tech e-commerce startup. So I love technology and I'm constantly thinking about ways to use technology to improve your life. So by saying that tech, that social media might drain you, like I think that you should use social media to your advantage. Do I think that some tech tech companies can have a little bit more accountability of how addictive the algorithms are? Yes. Social media is like a drug. Every time you swipe through, you're getting dopamine hits. So I want everyone listening to this to have that awareness that these tech companies do want you to be on their app for as long as possible. Now, how you can use it to your advantage. So for me personally, I create a lot. So my thing is create more than I consume. But I know that a lot of people listening, they consume a lot. So what can we do if we're consuming to be able to optimize our lives? So the first thing is, again, awareness of the content that makes you feel like crap versus the content that's making you feel a little bit better. Generally, you want to look to, you know, influencers and people that are three years ahead of you. So everyone are fueled by different things. But what I've found from my clients is that people tend to be fueled by people that seem closer in their journey than further away in their journey. So for example, looking at someone that's had a weight loss transformation or a relatable fitness trainer like Elliot that can see things holistically, understand that not everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. If you're at the point where you're wanting to get into competitive bodybuilding, you'll be looking at different content. Now, the other thing is don't engage with content that makes you feel not good. So a lot of people, what they do is they'll They'll see a hook. So a hook is usually the first three seconds of a video that makes people watch the rest of the video or the rest of it. And it's usually an outrageous statement. And if it's something you disagree with, you might want to watch the rest of it. Instead of watching the rest of it, instead of um, getting in the comment section and getting into a comment battle, click the ellipses and click, I'm not interested in this type of content. If you know that that type of content is draining your energy, then please just don't engage and tell Instagram and TikTok, you don't want to see this type of content anymore because it doesn't make you feel good. Now, that's not to say that I think that everyone should be in their happy little echo chambers and never have conflicting views. Fun fact, I'm a vegetarian, but I love following Max Laveri, Ligari, he's got a complicated last name. He is very Livergear, big on the fact that people, there we go, let's live again. He's very confident about the fact that people should not be having plant-based diets, but I love to look at views that challenge me and 90% of his content doesn't challenge me. So also get honest with the fact of when your ego is kind of getting in the way of that challenge versus when, you know, it's really the type of content that isn't going to motivate you and feel happy. So those are a few tips of how you can use your consumption to your advantage. Yeah, that's enormous. And I think that if it triggers you, then it triggers you for a reason. And I think that, as you mentioned, opening yourself up to different opinions is probably one of the best things that you can do. Because as you mentioned, those echo chambers can be 
more dangerous, I would even say, than things that trigger you, to be completely honest, because if then you just go down a route of people reinforcing your beliefs and you never get an opportunity to look outside of that. And the beauty of challenge, and I've always been very passionate about this, is that either it allows you to solidify your belief by very good arguments against you, or it allows you to open your mind to something different. And both of those outcomes for someone who isn't like attached to it from the basis of their ego, who's genuinely got an open mind and wants to learn are amazing things. You know, if you've got a growth mindset, you don't want to be right for the sake of being right. You want to be moving forward. You want to do the best thing for you and the best thing for the people that you're working with. So I think that allowing that in can be amazing. You've just got to be aware of which person, right? Max Lugavir might be the best person for you, but someone who's like super just anti-meat because they want to just hate on, or not anti-meat, they anti-vegans or vegetarians who just want hate on it that's probably not the person for you to follow right yeah for sure absolutely and i think that that's really what it comes down to if that person triggers you then maybe try some time away from their content or hit you if you have some issues with unfollowing them or just unfollow because usually it's like the influencer or something along those lines and then if you want to re-engage in that content in the future and i found that you know with many people as well it's like at a certain stage in their journey their content really triggered them and that that is actually an insight into yourself we spoke about awareness a lot so if that is triggering you then maybe that's a path to travel down as well and then if you're really missing their content that much because re-engage but you don't have to follow and have it appear on your feed every second second so i like that a lot so i want to dive a little bit deeper into the goal setting side of things when it comes to our bodies and you've spoken a lot today about holistic health so how would you essentially define that because a lot of people have this definition of what holistic health looks like but from a long-term perspective what does a holistic lifestyle look like not just holistic goals but a holistic lifestyle absolutely so when i think about holistic fitness in general it really does encompass encompass lots of health and i think of a pyramid and the foundation of everything is your stress management and stress management includes emotional regulation it includes how you speak to yourself the self-care, sleeping well, um, your hormones, so that cortisol and melatonin balance, which comes into to sleeping well, and how you handle your relationships. So anything that can cause you stress um, and really the regulation around stress is the foundation. If I was to... If I, if someone was to ask me what's more important, sleep, nutrition, or exercise, I would say sleep. You can go a very long time without exercise. You can go days, even weeks without eating any food, but you can't go more than three days without sleeping. So that's why I think sleep is, is so bloody important. Next on the pyramid would be nutrition. So nutrition is how you, you fuel yourself and it's, if you don't have really great nutrition, a lot of the exercise that you're doing is really going down the drain. And then I'd move into exercise. And then at the final top bit, maybe you want to think about some supplementation. If you're a vegetarian, you might want to take some B12. Most people maybe need to take some vitamin D and magnesium. But that's really the last thing thing you look at. Of course, I'm not a doctor. So that's in conjunction with your medical professional. I'm not by any means giving you specific advice here. So on that bottom, bottom thing, I feel like that's what what we're missing. And that really ties into our habits as well. Um, and what that looks like eight, seven to nine hours of sleep per night. If you're a woman, really eight, eight, 
eight or higher. It looks like having like good communication in your relationships, uh, you know, a healthy marriage or partnership can make a huge difference on your overall well-being. Um, also, also the daily habits, like we all know that, you know, alcohol isn't great for our sleep and it's not going to cause you stress. Of course, you know, we like to have fun every now and again. I, I certainly do, but it's something you should be cognizant of. And, um, yeah, all of those habits that help with your stress management. Um, again, we've spoken about the self-talk and the thought work. It's catching yourself out. So a lot of women say sorry too much. Oh, sorry, I'm late. It's not like, no, thank you for your patience. And finding those little ways to help you empower yourself and become the best person you can. So that's really what holistic health looks like. And when I'm working with a client, I will use different measures to figure out where people are at. And then we'll focus on the most important one first. So obviously for fitness, we can use aesthetic measures like weight on the scale, body fat measurements, but then there's also mood mood-based measures like how energized did I feel today? Uh, how many hours did, of sleep did I get? How, how like good did I feel about my workouts? Like, was I lifting heavier or was I exhausted? And I, while I do think aesthetic measures are important, we should be asking ourselves some more questions so that we're measuring our stress, our energy and our overall well-being. Because ultimately having a really, really good, you know, looking cute in a bikini is great. We all want that. But ultimately, if we feel like crap every day, that's not going to be ideal. So we want to make sure that if we're making these changes and adjustments, that we are managing our stress at the same time so that when we get our goals, we're not feeling exhausted from maybe not doing things in a sustainable way, such as eating enough protein or maybe doing more HIIT workouts and restorative or whatever the adjustment is that we need to make. Absolutely. And I think what I love about that is that people are starting to get the point on that front. I don't know if it was... COVID that really emphasized the importance of our health, but I have far more people coming today saying, I have this big aesthetic goal, but realistically, I don't want to feel terrible in order to achieve it. And also I'm coming in and I've got this aesthetic goal, but I don't want that to be the end. You know, I want to be able to sustain this feeling and this look long-term, which I think is an amazing shift full stop. You know, I hope that this isn't one of those cycles where we, you know, go through this cyclical phase and we get back to just caring about aesthetics again. I do feel that this is here to stay. And I think a large part of the equation here, which the majority of people struggle with is they're going to tell you, Laurie, I can do this for two weeks. I can do this for six weeks. Maybe I can even do this for six months, but what are we going to do when it gets to six years? 50 years, mm. the rest of my life. How am I going to maintain these efforts? Because I think that's the big key because it's so easy to have this awesome phase where I was doing this for a year and then I just fell off. So how do we stop people from falling off and keep this as a consistent permanent change in their lifestyle. That's why I mentioned the sense of curiosity is so important. You know, understanding yourself and getting curious about why you enjoyed this versus why you didn't enjoy this. Obviously, accountability from a coach, a friend, a partner is great. You are the people you spend the spend the most time with the five people that you spend the most time with. So surrounding yourself by fit and healthy people is great. And another thing I mentioned earlier was the identity. So if you have an identity of being a fit person, you just won't fall off the bandwagon. But a big thing is asking yourself why you want to fall off the bandwagon and understanding the trigger to fall off the bandwagon. Was it because you were on vacation and you couldn't integrate it? 
while you're on vacation and then you came back and then fell into bad habits? Or was it because what you were doing, you just didn't actually enjoy? Maybe you don't enjoy CrossFit workouts. You've been doing CrossFit for a year and it's time to adapt and move. So if people look at the most successful companies, and this is where I use like the, the, the corporate background, the most successful companies are able to adapt and they're innovative. So don't be afraid to innovate and adapt within your fitness journey as well. Figure it out. Figure out what it is that you really, really like and continue to continue to adapt and iterate and understand or do a postmortem of the things that aren't quite working. So for some people, it's simple as simple as just making sure they still go to the gym on vacation or do some workouts and on vacation. And for some people, it's accepting that it's a different phase in their fitness journey. Hey, I was a CrossFitter, but now I go to the gym. Two questions you can ask yourself, though, is am I more experience orientated or results orientated? And that will give you a sense of whether you enjoy the journey of fitness or whether you enjoy the results of fitness. If you enjoy the results of fitness, you're going to have to be constantly setting and resetting goals that help you reach higher and higher and higher. If you're more experience orientated, you're going to have to enjoy that you going to have to make sure that you enjoy the experience. So that would be the similar to the CrossFit example that I mentioned. The other thing that you want to ask yourself is, am I more spontaneous or am I more consistent? If you're more spontaneous, then you're going to have to accept that you enjoy, you work in spontaneous bursts of brilliance. And it's okay to do six months doing this, six months doing this. But within that changeover period, just find ways to make sure you don't fall off. And if you're more consistent, it's really important for you to do the same thing every day. Ideally, we're all more co- more consistent, but many of you listening probably do shift work. You probably travel. So some of you, like whether you like it or not, will work in spontaneous bursts of brilliance. And those are two ways that you can bring awareness as well to um, when you might fall off after a year. Do you think that we should all really strive if we want to maintain something long-term to the experience base? Because if I did hear a really nice quote the other day and it said that the man who loves walking will work walk far further than the man who loves the destination. And that like it's not often that quotes come to me and I'm like, wow, that was like very eye-opening. I start to think that they're more cliche than actually valuable. But that one was fair. And I was like, okay, that's a really good point. You know, if the person who we have is loving walking, he's going to keep going because he's enjoying what he's doing. And ultimately the person loves the destination. I feel that you need constant reminders of the destination. You need, like you said, fresh new goals all the time. And that can be pretty exhausting after one year, let alone five or 10. So do you think maybe if we want to maintain something long-term, we should be striving to be a little bit more experienced and process-based versus results-driven? That's a really good question. So the way I interpreted that first point is like, I feel striving for results requires a process and it requires experience. But the way I kind of interpreted that question to begin with is like, should you kind of like stick with the one experience or one process? Um, I may have interpreted it wrong, but For me, I think there's value in the same experience and the same process and iterating based on like small things. However, I also think that we should be adaptable and open to change as well and continuously innovate. I'm not sure if I answered the question. Let me know if I like interpreted it incorrectly. Yeah, I think my sense of what I'm trying to get at here is, is it better to stick with the weight training, for example, that we don't really enjoy for years and years and years because we want the good physique? Or is it better to maybe go and say, well, actually, CrossFit doesn't get me that much results as I would like to. Maybe my results are 
75% of what they would be if I was just primarily focused on weight training. But with CrossFit, I can see myself sticking to this. I enjoy this. Is it better for us if we want to maintain something long-term to find something like CrossFit that we enjoy far more than to stick with the thing? And I know that it comes down to your personality, but I'm thinking more across the span of 10, 20 years because of the readjusting of goals and doing things that you don't actually enjoy just for the sake of results can, in my eyes, probably lead you to a position where you're going to start to resent it unless it becomes something that's very habituated and you're very able to, you know, just overcome the resistance that you get from that. So yeah, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole with my own question here. No, I love that though. And I think, again, you've got to bring, bring it back to the intention. So I think for the most part, people should do what they enjoy. So if, if, what you enjoy is CrossFit, people should do that. However, also understanding when you need to do the things that you don't particularly enjoy as well. So I am more experience driven. So the way I'll answer that question is go for the CrossFit, do the thing you like. But some people may actually get more gain and more happiness through doing the weight training every single day. So again, it's very individual, but ultimately you need to figure out like what you're motivated by and then do the thing that you're motivated by. And that's going to help you do it long-term because again, if you really resent an exercise, that is going to add to your stress because before you go to the gym, let's just say we're using your example, Elliot, of, you know, I really don't like this exercise. You're going to create stress around it the night before, if you're waking up early or all day to gear yourself up to actually go. And I actually think that stress is more detrimental than getting like 100% of your physique goals than the 75% of your physique goals that you might get at CrossFit. That's my opinion, but I don't have data to back it up. Yeah. And I'm thinking about this as we're talking about it. And I would definitely say that it all comes back to that self-awareness piece, which many of our conversations have come back to today because of, I would actually like to say that based on all my experience with the clients that I've worked with, you know, the people that I meet on a day-to-day basis, the people I speak to on podcasts, I would say that maybe 75 to 80% of us are experience driven. You know, we care more about the enjoyment of things than the results side of things. And then maybe those 10 to 20% of people are the people who can show up and do the work no matter what, because they're super driven behind achieving, you know, what they want to. It doesn't mean that you can't achieve the thing if, you know, you go down the road of experience. It might just mean you get there in a different way or a slower manner. But now that I'm really reflecting on that, I think it does come back to our self-awareness piece and just saying, okay, maybe I can be results driven for like six weeks or six months, but realistically beyond a year, that's not going to happen. So maybe I can say that, you know, when I sign up for this program, for example, I'm going to go be dedicated. I'm going to be all in, but when it comes to my long-term sustainability approach, maybe that's the moment where I get back into sport or that's the moment where I reintegrate more foods that I like and opt for that 80, 20 approach versus being 95, five, for example, maybe that's the solution. Yeah. That was such a great way to summarize it as well. And, you know, even with like my clients as, as well, like I know that they like the high energy, the hype, and they, they like the more dancing or hit workouts like that's what they enjoy so we do do the 75 25 like seven like half of their workout is resistance training that they're probably not as enthused by but then they end on that high as well so there's ways to even in the beginning phase to kind of meet in the middle Um, as long as you're eating correctly and got enough rest at the start you can still find ways to integrate some things you enjoy with your boxing was a big one as well like lots of people love boxing so getting on the pads at the end of the workout was super fun but yeah it pretty much everything that we've spoken about comes back to that self-awareness so I love 
I love that we're just weaving that in all the time so people get just really curious about what they like so that they can get their goals sustainably. Yeah, and creating that space to listen as well, right? Like you can't know what mm. you like, you can't know what you dislike unless you actually stop and reflect on it. Like if you're eating something just because someone told you to and it was the best way to do so, that's the only voice you're going to hear until you stop and think, okay, well, why don't I like this? And is there another way around this? And you mentioned self-talk as well. And that's going to be one of my final big questions today that I want to address is self-talk. And that's something that we've touched on a little bit. And it does come back to that self-awareness piece as well. When it comes to self-talk, it's quite often the narrative that we've been given unless we go in and actually take control of it. And we decide who we are. We decide the way that we talk to ourselves. But if we don't have that awareness in the first place, there's this consistent narrative. This is this consistent self-talk. Usually it's pretty damn negative as well. I've not met that many people who have super positive self-talk who haven't done the work. So can you talk to us a little bit more about how you work on people when it comes to their self-talk and the narrative that they have for themselves? I think the first thing that everyone needs to be aware of is 90% of our thoughts are negative. We've got tens of thousands of thoughts. And the reason being is because we're wired that way. If we were, you know, all sitting in our tribe, we heard a rustle in the bush and we thought of the most positive things, we would have been extinct. We had to be prepared to fight or flight from that tiger, that bear, whatever was in the bush. So firstly, you are normal for having negative self-talk. It is just the way we're wired. However, we can change that and we can change the neuroplasticity in our brain to believe something better for ourselves, but it is a perfection, uh, protection mechanism. Now, it's exactly as you mentioned, Elliot, in terms of that awareness piece. So that awareness is really important. So there's a few tips that I'll give you. One is observe everything you say after I am because that's your identity. So if you say, I am poor, I am overwhelmed, I am unfit, I've always been a, a chubby kid. Those, those are the things that you believe about yourself. And often, whatever we believe, we continuously try to recreate that experience. And a good example is, you know, if you are going to go buy a car, maybe it's a Subaru Outback, you'll notice so many more Subaru Outbacks. So we're always like recreating what we believe to be true or, you know, what's kind of front of mind. So have that awareness of those I am statements. I'm going to give you a few other popular statements to help you bring awareness as well. Watch what you're saying after I can't. So I can't go to the gym because I'm too busy. I can't um, eat healthy because it's too expensive or those are your limiting beliefs and instead change it to I'm choosing to prioritize. I'm choosing to prioritize my sick kid instead of going to the gym. I'm choosing to prioritize McDonald's instead of going shopping because it's easier. Because then you're, you're bringing the power back into your hands. So a lot of the statements we say to ourselves with the negative self-talk or like what we can't do just takes away the accountability and ownership from ourselves. And even just adjusting those statements a little bit, you'll start to realize the self-belief that you want to change. And I alluded to it earlier, but the other thing is watch what you're apologizing for. Um, if you're constantly apologizing, start to ask yourself, like, is this true? A good example is one of my clients. She apologized for not being able to lift as heavy and was really upset with herself because she was on her period. Anyone that menstruates knows that you've got less energy on your period for a lot of people. And I'm not worried at all, but she's apologizing for a natural bodily function that happens monthly. So instead of, sorry, I can't lift as heavy because I'm on my period, 
Thanks for your patience as I navigate a lower energy point in my cycle. So those are three things that you can look at to bring more awareness to something that we want to change that's actually a natural protection mechanism. Yeah, and I think that that first part of knowing that it's completely normal is absolutely fine, but it doesn't need to be your life sentence, let's say. And I think one more point that I would add to the three amazing ones that you gave us was that you want to answer back. You know, mm. you don't want to just listen and let it repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. You want to answer it back. And also you want to stack up experience, right? Like identity comes down to the things that you do on a consistent basis and that mm. you believe, you know, and although you might think, well, I've been this way all my life. It's like, well, you know, your life continues today and tomorrow and the next day. And if you start doing something different, you just need to build a new stack of evidence. It's like both of these situations, whether you have always been this way, I've always been super overweight, or I've been healthy can be completely true. It's just the one that you're choosing to reinforce, right? And I think answering back and giving new examples, and then why I always call it is building a bank of evidence for the person mm. that you want to be and the behavior that you want to implement can be super, super powerful as well. Yes, I resonate with that so much. Such a great way to, to summarize that. Amazing. So I've got a couple of final questions for you, Laurie. The final one, which is a big one, is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Mm, I'm creating a ripple effect of kindness. So when I walk up past someone in a shopping center, they're going to be in a good enough mood to smile at me back. It's, it's like, it's as simple as that. The reason I do what I do is I want to give more energy to be kinder to their loved ones, kinder to strangers. And I think one really kind person creates this ripple effect of kindness that's unquantifiable. Love that. Short to the point and super effective as well. I hope that kindness is traveling all over the world. And where is the best place for people to find you if they've been super interested in this conversation today? Absolutely. As um, Elliot mentioned, I'm super active on the socials. So at Lori Lee Bootcamp on Instagram, on TikTok, and on YouTube, and on Pinterest. So pretty much anywhere um, is at Lori Lee Bootcamp. My website is lauriealeecy.com, and my journal website is goalgettingjournal.com. And also, you can check out. Hopefully, the podcast episode is out by the time this one is out. But you can check out the the Holistic Fitness Podcast as well, and get to know a little bit more of my content there and listen to another conversation with Elliot and I. Yeah, I'm sure this has sparked their interest today. So I'm sure as soon as they're finished with this one, they'll be straight over to yours. But Laurie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an incredible and insightful conversation. Thanks so much, Elliot. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.